Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam, along with Nick and Keith, and it's been a few weeks. Uh, lots of ground to cover on the Leafs uh, since we last got together here, fellas, after the trade deadline. Um, I'll be honest, I've been ready to come in here all doom and gloom pretty much every time we've planned to record over the last couple of weeks. I, I don't really like what I'm seeing. Yeah. Post trade deadline, for the most part, uh, a lot of sloppy play, a lot of puck watching. Obviously, ton of bad turnovers against the Islanders Tuesday night, <laughs> like bad. Yeah. Yep. Um, Goaltending's been suspect. It, it's it's not been good, but but I feel like I got to run a little bit counter here. You, you know, we're we're so close to playoffs, and we're gonna see what's what in in a few weeks, right? And if it keeps up the way it's been going, you know, if we're still uh, talking about the play being the same as it's been through right through game 82 and heading into the postseason it's it's not going to go well and we are going to have all summer to bury him and we will <laughs> fucking we'll strike a fucking gas line uh but but this is a team that's you know been without its key deadline pickup since the deadline and you know they've been playing all kinds of 11 forward 7d brody's missed time and it looks like he's he's ready to, to come back but i just don't think that your blue line is your blue line without him so um like yes yeah, so i would like for things to have gelled a bit better by now but the circumstances haven't really allowed for it and maybe that will be their undoing in the end right like you, you want to be grooving and they're they're certainly not that but there, there's no way to know right now and there's nothing i can really do about it anyway so personally i will be saving all my good jokes and rants for a few more weeks i think mm-hmm. but i mean it's it's not been uh, it's not been a good product here nick of late well i've kind of been just spouting a similar line of of thought lately that kind of like you know we will have plenty of time to bury these guys if it doesn't go well when it really matters but i think these next couple of weeks are going to be really telling you know you've mentioned it numerous times before cam a lot of what comes down to playoff success is you know being rolling at the right time and i don't think that anyone who has watched this team closely over the last few weeks would would say that they're rolling by any means but I think they're still just very much in the process of kind of working out the kinks and seeing where everything fits. You know, I think players like William Nylander, who have kind of led the charge all season, he, he's kind of slowed down and hit a little bit of a lull over the last little bit. Saw a bit of a demotion down the lineup. But it looks like he's going to be back in the top six uh, for Thursday night. So I think there's just been a lot going on with the inner workings of the team. And yeah, it's concerning that they, they, they've kind of been getting caved in routinely as of late. But I, I still can't help but feel better about this roster than I have at any point over the last few years heading into the postseason. You know, that's assuming that we get Ryan O'Reilly back healthy and there's no other major injuries before then. I still just feel that this team is built for that time of year and that uh, it's all going to come together. But again, these next couple of weeks are going to be really telling and and it's time for them to get rolling. Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, Cam, you made a good point that I feel like a lot of people are glossing over when they're doing their kind of like post deadline post trade deadline analysis of how the Leafs are playing like they've had their prize trade deadline acquisition for one game post deadline like they they got them not even a full game (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so that that's a that's a kind of a a, a, i don't know like moving the goal post kind of thing for me like it's not really 
the what we should be measuring them on. But regardless of that, I think you know the the other kind of big talking point right now is you know Sheldon Keefe's blender and like you know trying like let's let's lock this down let's get some kind of familiarity and let's stop with the eleven and seven and let's you know let's just play the six best defensemen that are going and all that kind of stuff. But the problem, I or not the problem, but like. I don't have much of an issue with that, mainly because of O'Reilly being out. I don't think that you're ever going to get an accurate read on the team and what it's going to look like until he's back. So why not use the next however many games and, you know, however many it's been to try to see what works? And like you've we've seen little spurts of like things that have worked together, right? Like I think that the bot the, the fourth line has looked at its best when Kerfoot was on it. It you know, we can have the argument about whether or not a three and a half million dollar player should be on the, the fourth line, but lineup composition wise, that's looked really good. And that's something And the that money doesn't seen. matter at this time of year either, not, right? Not, like, no, the, God the, no. The, the, the players are all on an even have who field, you have. basically. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and that's so I mean I, I think, you know, there, I don't have as much of an issue with that. Now, that being said, they haven't looked good um, at all. So they, yes, they were they were winning, and and uh, at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. And you could also make the argument like, yeah, if Samsonov stole them a few games and Murray stole them a game in Ottawa, like they're still part of the team and they're still going to need to do that too. So it's and you know, you'd like to get one or two of those in the postseason. You're going to need <laughs> one or two of those. Like you're going to need one of those two guys to steal an entire game, and you're going to need them to steal like a third period in a close game. So like. We shouldn't just look at that as a negative. The fact that they had to bail them out like that. There's 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 some good in that too. So my kind of take on this is if they'd have would have absolutely rolled the last ten games and destroyed everybody, I wouldn't feel any better going into the playoffs about it. Like that, it wouldn't. I would have sat there going like, cool, like that's great that that happened, but I don't. You know, game one of the playoffs, I'm going to be just as nervous whether they were lights out for the the trade deadline onward or had some ups and downs like they've had right now. That doesn't really change it for me. And, and I mean, there are some positives to take, right? Like, like we've been seeing a little more from Morgan Riley specifically, Matthews, and Matthews looks great too. Yeah, so like it's you know it's not been good overall, and and the the additions are still kind of struggling at times to mesh with the rest of the lineup. But Mitch Marner's ripping the fucking paint off the walls. <laughs> right now like there, there's some stuff to iron out but those are kind of some of the things that i'm clinging to right now playing with a bit of an edge too like he's kind of angry he, he was and, fired and up against the islanders hits. like i've sure. seen him yeah. i've seen him finish checks lately like too so he's yeah he's, he's not happy but even like barking at the refs like he was yeah. against the islanders on tuesday just you know a bit of a different side of mitch i, I think we all like to to see him really dialed in and intense like that um, and like i believe that there is an element here of of turning it on for game one that's that's happening that you could probably say the leafs haven't really earned uh and i probably wouldn't argue with you and you could say that turning it on really isn't a thing that you can do or at at the very least not a thing that you can plan to do and I couldn't really put up much of a fight on that either but uh, you know this is the most veteran squad that we've seen in a long time they they know the expectations here and they're not going to kill themselves for the last dozen games of the regular season coming up you know you, you try to find a rhythm you, you hope that the big boys can light it up when the time comes and you hope that you get some timely goaltending and that's you know that's basically all you can hope for yeah and just like kind of getting back to the whole Sheldon's blender thing I, I think you know the it seems as though 
we might be seeing that come to an end, you know, in these next few games, just looking at what the, the lines were in practice on Wednesday after that really ugly game uh, on Long Island. You, you know, you've got Mariner back with Matthews. You've got Nylander back with Tavares. It, it seems like they're kind of starting to try and slot guys in where they hope to be able to slot them when the games really start to matter. So I think it, it is time for them to start kind of solidifying things in that sense. I know it, it's it's, it's got to be really tough for guys like Jake McCabe to come in and basically have a different defense partner every other night. That, and that's not saying anything for Morgan Riley, who is often saddled with a, a different defense partner literally every game, right? So I, I think there's definitely some form of continuity that they're going to want to start working towards here. And, and I expect that to, to start coming as early as Thursday night. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that too. Like I think, I think everybody is, but... But I think just my point earlier, like I haven't really had much of a problem with the the shuffling. I think it's kind of needed and warranted given the amount of depth they have to kind of see where the pieces fall. One underrated element of that, too, is I think like with all these defensemen on the roster, the 11 and 7 thing has kind of made sense because you not only do you want to get a look at these guys and see what you have, but you want to make sure that Eric Gustafson and Luke Shen both feel like legitimate pieces of this team so that when you do need them and if you're going to go on a deep playoff run, chances are you're going to need both of them at some point. You want these guys to actually feel like part of the team and not just hired guns. You want them to have some familiarity with their teammates as well. So Game reps. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Morgan Riley tweaks his knee in game four and Gustafson has to come in. Like, Would you be happy with the fact that he played one game or something post-trade deadline? Like, Yeah, yeah that's a great point. Like, You got to get him in there, get his reps and you know, get them familiar with the system and, the, you know, build some sort of chemistry with, with the forwards. Yeah. That, that, that's a, a point that I didn't really even think of, but yeah, I think it, and also just like having that extra defenseman and maybe not, you know, running the absolute wheels off of Mark Giordano either at this point in the season, I yeah. think it's probably pretty important. Yeah. Um, it, you know, one thing that we've kind of brought up repeatedly when we're talking about additions to this lineup is like the added flexibility that it can bring and the number of options you have and how it's good to experiment and keep things fresh. And, you know, like you said, Nick, I, I think that we are going to see a little bit more uh, continuity in the lineup uh, here down the down the stretch. But um, what is it? Twelve games left. Twelve games left. And, and you know, like the thing is, like the, the look that I have most wanted to see has not been possible for the last few weeks with yeah. Ryan O'Reilly in right like I, I want to see what this forward group looks like with him as the third line center and and I want to throw this one at you guys and, and tell me what you think here because I, I like the thought of putting Willie maybe on, on O'Reilly's wing you pair up JT with Mitch and then for the top line because of this this little bit of chemistry they've they found between Matthews and Yarncroke throw bunting on the left side there I feel like that's that's a line that could work and and in terms of like obviously how do you split your resources you let Tampa Bay decide which line they want to roll their third line and third pair out against and and you go with it thoughts well I think that's kind of something that Keith was sort of putting feelers out on these last few games right I, I you know this whole thing has been kind of framed as a demotion for Nylander and you know sort of trying to get his game back but I also think part of it was just tr- kind of getting a look at what it might look like with Matthews not having 
either of Nylander or Marner on his wing and what that does to lengthen out your lineup. You kind of have to imagine Ryan O'Reilly in place of Sam Lafferty uh, that, when you're doing that. But I think that was a, a kind of an element that's that's gone into the, the lineup construction over these last few games. And honestly, I don't hate it. It's just it's really risky to not be trying to maximize Austin Matthews I think heading into the postseason, so I still lean towards him probably having one of Mariner or Nylander on his right wing. But I think it's definitely uh, going back to what you said previously. It's just it's another option that they have that they wouldn't have had before. You know, you're not going to knock William Nylander down to play third line center with David Camp for an entire postseason, but putting William Nylander beside Ryan O'Reilly for an entire postseason or series or an extended run in the postseason at least that seems a lot more plausible or a lot more enticing to kind of lengthen out the lineup and try to win some of those matchups you know against the the opposing third and fourth lines in a significant way well if you you look at like kim and i i think i i kind of said something similar to that and and kind of in favor for at least trying it or starting with it in games in the playoffs and you know knowing that you can always fall back on putting them together if you need to but like and they'll get shifts together anyways oh, right like, always, we've been watching after power plays we get or after penalty yeah. kills like we we he just does it um but you look at tampa's defense and outside of victor headman nobody scares me yeah. like absolutely nobody so if you if you're like okay you know who who's john cooper gonna throw at the Leafs, or who, who's he going to throw Hedman at? Well, if, if I'm looking at that lineup construction you just mentioned, Cam, it's probably Mitch Marner and John Tavares. So then, you know, is Austin Matthews getting Ian Cole and Eric Chernak? Like that, the, the idea of, of, you know, letting him go out against those types of players is enticing to me to at least try. Um, the only thing I don't know is like, you know, where where does that who plays with o, with O'Reilly and Nylander and then who's who's on the other side of 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 Marner and Tavares like it's well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll about that guy the other winger yeah I kind of thought that might be where we go but but I mean I listen I'm I'm not gonna sit here and put on like my you know captain of Sam Lafferty fan club button but like I I, I don't hate him like I think he brings something to the bottom six that that is is kind of needed and and just i'd like to see a, a longer run of him playing wing and being saddled with yeah. less responsibility down the, the middle and being with the same guy yeah yeah like like let him build some let him do what achari has been able to do in the bottom you know in the bottom six and or sorry in the fourth line and kind of get some familiarity with some guys like lafferty's been all over the place and I'm sure that's playing into it. Well, they've been asking him to do a lot of different things too, right? Yeah. Like they've been asking him to kind of play that depth role in the bottom six, but now they've also thrown him out there with William Nylander for a few games. And, you know, that brings a different set of responsibilities. You're kind of leaning more to, towards trying to generate offense when you have a player of that caliber beside you. And I, I think, you know, he's maybe been tasked with a bit too much in terms of the transition game in the middle. Him and Nylander haven't really gotten that going together. Uh, in terms of just kind of moving freely through the neutral zone with possession. So I think Lafferty does a lot of things that I think will help this lineup. I'm just really curious to see him given more of a run on the wing where his speed might play a little better. The thing for me about Lafferty has kind of always been, even right from when they acquired him, like, uh, you know, I was I was a little kind of hesitant about the pickup, but like I, I felt like he would he would be a good you know depth bottom six kind of piece. But I, I guess where where I kind of differ a little bit is um, 
I saw him a little bit more as a guy who isn't necessarily an every night guy and is kind of more of a fourth line guy. And he's kind of slotted in there a little bit more as a third line guy. And, and, you know, like you said, it's a lot of responsibility. And and I I wonder where he ultimately kind of settles in here once, once they're healthy and and clipping into the playoffs. Yeah. Like I said, I think when everything kind of falls into place and, you know, God forbid no other major injuries to, to the forward group, I think you're probably looking at him as that, you know, slotted in on either the third or fourth line on the wing. Uh, I think it'll kind of depend on what they're getting out of O'Reilly in that three C spot, and you know how they if they do try to construct the lineup that way, where they lengthen it out a bit more with Nylander on his wing. You know that then maybe you have Lafferty on on the fourth line using his speed and tenacity on the forecheck and it's just saddling him with less responsibility and he's kind of freed up to do his thing a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure exactly where he's he's going to slot in, but I, I don't think that he can be relied upon to, to drive a line with one of the best offensive players on the he team. He might be better suited to do the Zach Aston Reese thing better than Zach Aston Reese can do, right? Like he might be able to fill that spot on that line. With a charity. Speaking camps. of Zach Aston Reese, though, it, I think he's someone who's kind of taken note of the uh, the additions as a yeah, yeah, he's, he's looked he's looked pretty good. Yeah, he, he's played well, and I think you know if you get to the point where he's the the guy that's maybe coming out of the lineup uh, with a full fully healthy forward group, that's a pretty good spot to be in too, because I think he's he's definitely shown lately that he can be a really effective fourth liner. And it's just about finding the right mix now. Yeah, and, and kind of the last thing I'll say on the on the on this is we're talking about we're talking like Ryan O'Reilly at three C is is a given, and we've really never seen like yeah, Keith, we haven't seen that. We I think we've all kind of assumed it was going to happen eventually, and they were just kind of acclimatizing them with the team and getting them you know in with good players, but also possibilities on the second line and Tavares is over on the wing again come playoff time too or at least like we said or at least in that kind of like load up moment that they might need yeah I'm sure we'll see plenty of that regardless of where O'Reilly's name is written on the lineup card before the game and that'll be the interesting thing if he does get back in you know before the end of the regular season right like presumably wherever he's slotted in on on that first night back that's going to be where they want him for game one they're not going to yeah they're not going to have much time beyond that yeah they won't they won't be screwing around with it so uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll hopefully find out sooner than later. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's like we said, 12 games left. It's it's the nitty gritty here. Uh, and a quarter of those games against the Florida Panthers uh, three times in two and a half weeks, starting Thursday night in the Sunshine State. Um, so wanted to talk a little bit about some guys in the system here as well. Anyone uh, spring to mind <laughs> off the top of your head? <laughs> so the Frozen Four is coming up. Uh, Thursday night, um, Matthew Nyes in action with Minnesota. Don't and forget Mikey Kester, too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so... I mean, this is obviously kind of all eyes are on Matthew Nyes. Let's get to him in a few minutes here. Um, first, there are a couple of guys who, who are kind of already uh, integrating here with the with the system and with the Marlies. Um, Ryan Torberg 
signed after Connecticut's season came to an end. Yep. And uh, Dmitry Avchinikov has come over as well to, to join the Marlies. And uh, he has, he, he'll have, I guess, probably suited up by the time people are hearing this, probably as, as we're speaking here, he's, uh, he's taken the ice here with the Marlies at uh, Torberg, got in the lineup over the weekend. Um, so, you know, these are both late round guys that we've, we've talked about as kind of, you know, guys who've had different blips that have, have made us excited. And, and now they're, they're finally getting their, their first taste of pro action here. Yeah. And I think uh, particularly Torberg is the one that excites me a little bit more just because I think his floor is a lot higher than Ovchinikov's. I think, you know, if Dmitry Ovchinikov's ever going to, to make it to the NHL, he's going to have to do it in kind of a scoring role or not to pigeonhole guys, but like take on that top six job and, and really be an effective offensive producer. Whereas I think Ryan Torberg does a, a lot of things that really translate well to the pro game and kind of make him more of a versatile option, someone who can grow into a really effective third or fourth liner. And I don't think that Ovchinikov really has that in his game. It's kind of top six or bust for, for him. Um, he had a difficult year over in the KHL. It was just kind of the same story as it's been for him over there over the last few years. You know, way too good for the junior league. Uh, at, even, you know, immediately after being drafted by the Leafs, just kind of destroyed the junior league over there. And his club is one of the, the few that didn't have a VHL affiliate between the junior league and the KHL. So he was kind of stuck in purgatory a little bit. And then even when he did get called up to the KHL initially, it was, you know, he was often used as the 13th forward, just kind of sitting on the bench, you know, maybe playing one or two shifts a game. And this year, while he had more of kind of a, a consistent role, it was still really not setting him up best for success uh, given his skill set. He was still tasked with, you know, playing a lot of bottom six minutes, not really having a, a, a big time role or getting a whole pile of power play time or anything like that. And it, he, he didn't, uh, didn't produce the way that you would hope a legitimate NHL prospect would, but a lot of that is circumstantial as well. I'm kind of curious to see what role he's going to be given to close out the season with the Marlies. You know, they're in the, in the middle of a, a push for a Calder Cup championship themselves, right? So uh, th- there's going to be a lot that goes into that. Uh, but Torberg is a, is a player that really intrigues me as a guy who could be pushing for NHL minutes in the next year or two. Uh, not necessarily a guy who you're going to look to to, to lead your offensive charge, but he just he kind of reminds me of some of the, the recent additions that the Leafs have made to their bottom six. And guys like Achari and Lafferty, he's got great straight line speed, kind of reminiscent of Lafferty in that respect, but he plays really hard, gets in on the forecheck, uh, you know, disrupts possessions for the opposition kind of the way that Achari does. And it's just a real thorn in the side of the opposition on, on practically every shift. And I, I think he's just, he's got more of those habits of getting to the inside of the, of the offensive zone and, and getting to the, those dirty areas around the net. So he, he's a player who I think fans should be definitely keeping an eye on over the next year and a bit here. Uh, really intrigued to see how the beginning of his AHL career is going to go. But th- this is a guy who's really, really taken off since the Leafs drafted him in the seventh round back in 2020. Uh, kind of a weird path for him, uh, switching schools before he ever began at Harvard. You know, during the pandemic, everything got shut down for Harvard's winter sports, and he was forced to alter his commitment to UConn and really grew into a prominent player for that program over the last couple of years. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him begin his pro career. And another guy who's 
season has wrapped up. Uh, Topi Niemela, he's a defenseman from Finland who, you know, we've, we've had quite a bit of excitement for. Uh, season's done over there. Um, still hasn't uh, landed with the Marlies. We, we don't really know what's what's going on there, do we? No, uh, I think the, the expectation was that he would uh, most likely be joining the Marlies. Whenever Kairopat's season came to an end, they were knocked out in the uh, play-in wildcard round of the Liga playoffs. Actually, they were they were sitting in sixth place in the Liga standings. Um, the way that it works over there is the top six teams uh, earn an automatic playoff berth to the first round. And then the next four teams from seventh to tenth face off in a little wildcard round to, to see who the final two real playoff teams are or whatever. So uh, it's kind of funny. Kairopat was sitting in that final first round spot, sixth place on the final day of the regular season. And they lost their game while Roni Hervinen, another Leafs prospect playing for HIFK, they had an overtime loss on the final day of the season that actually pulled them slightly ahead of Kairopat and knocked Kairopat into that wildcard round. And they weren't able to get it done. So, Hervinen's still playing on in the league of playoffs, had a great first game, scored two goals in the opening uh, game of their first round series. I don't know what's uh, going on with Nimala exactly. Um, it could be some work visa issues that they're still sorting out, but the expectation was that he was going to be joining the Marlies at the end of this season. So uh, kind of in a holding pattern right now, uh, there is always the chance that the Leafs just opt to give him the the summer and tell him to begin his off season. Now, you know, he just played a, a full schedule in one of the, the top pro leagues in the world. So, uh, it, it's not a given that he's going to be joining the Marlies, but I would expect that we see him over here in the next couple of weeks. So Matthew Nyes, um, <laughs> as I said, Minnesota taking on uh, Canisius on Thursday night in the first round. Uh, and then it's either Minnesota state or St. Cloud state. If they get through that first game uh, and least prospect on St. Cloud state too. Uh, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, the, the winner that goes to the frozen four. So, um, assuming that they, they get through, you know, we, we, as we said, if they get to the national final, it's, you know, max probably three games for Matthew Nyes, but, um, you know, Nick, you've been tweeting up plenty of clips with, um, you know, them working their way through the, the big 10 playoffs here. And, uh, I mean, he, he, he just looks so good. Yeah. I mean, that game against Michigan for the big 10 title was a definite heartbreaker for Nyes and the rest of the Gophers second straight year that they've lost that, uh, that matchup against the same team. Um, but I thought Nyes was spectacular in that game. You know, he had a couple of rough puck luck moments in the third period that kind of ultimately led to their demise. But I don't think that anyone would really fault him for either of those plays. You know, one's uh, a puck bounces off of his skate to keep a play on side for Michigan to go in and score. And another one is just a, a clearing attempt that hits his stick and falls, you know, right in place for Michigan to take and go score the, the eventual game winner. But throughout the game, I thought, Nyes was just awesome. He, he was kind of imposing his will uh, more often than not when he was out there, just, just kind of showcasing all of the abilities that everyone's been raving about since the Leafs drafted him, like the, the puck protection, the ability to make plays in, in tight areas and, and you know come out of congested areas with possession and actually make a, a play towards the net. It, he, was, he was just outstanding. And 
it's it's really hard to i know we've constantly been trying to to temper expectations for matthew and i's in particular but when you watch those games and you see the things he's doing out there it's really hard to to keep those expectations tempered because a lot of the things you're seeing him do it's it's like that should play at the NHL level. You know, maybe not to the same degree right away, obviously. I don't think he's going to step in to the Leafs lineup and, you know, be a superstar the way he is in the college ranks right now. But this just looks like a guy who's ready to play in the NHL. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Keith tries to do with him if they are indeed able to get him signed. And I, I think, you know, everything's pointing to him actually turning pro this year, regardless of how things shake out with Minnesota the rest of the way. That's again, not a given yet, but every, all signs are pointing towards him turning pro. It, it's just, it's going to be a matter of how much time they're afforded to get comfortable with each other and, and how much time Nyes is afforded to get comfortable with playing at this level. So, I don't know, man. It, it's it's going to be hard to keep him out of the lineup, I think. If he does turn pro uh, with what I've seen out of him over these last few weeks especially, and this is a guy who's got a reputation now for coming up big in big games, I think there's a real chance that he gets into a couple of games to close out the regular season and you know shows enough that Sheldon Keefe is enticed to put him into that postseason lineup at some point. Yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that shakes out especially considering all the talk about like trying to find a lineup that works and running with it for the last however many game you know six six to eight games or whatever after o'reilly gets back and then you have this other wrench that gets thrown into it of a potential impact maker you know yeah you could, it's kind of compounding matters there yeah. with, with the two of those guys maybe coming back or you know joining this lineup at the same right. time right but i mean he he could be an X factor, man. Like you could be actually, you know, just a kind of like extra jolt of energy into the team. And I mean, it's not like we're talking about a guy who had his point production and is, you know, five eleven, one hundred and eighty pounds. Like he's not physically. He's definitely not going to wilt under the you know, physicality. He he's ready physically for the game. You know, I'm not saying that he he's not just because he's big that he can't. You know, he's just going to start running people through the boards and can't get knocked off pucks. And like obviously, but there's, he, there's he can handle the rigors of exactly. You know, yeah. yeah, he's not going to get like you know thrown into the boards. You know, not to disparage Nick Robertson or anything, but like that's not going to happen to him, <laughs> yeah. right? So, like, and just like to not not to get too scientific on you here, but he just seems like he gets it. Yeah. You know, like he is. He just like and, and that's he knows and, what he is. And that's the thing about like guys coming in like that. Like, yes, he is going to have to adjust to the rigors of the NHL and you know how he's going to be defended. And there's a big mental game to this where you know you have to not try to do too much because you see a little bit of that from him right like he, he obviously makes so many highlight worthy plays but you know he, he does have the moments where he, he coughs up a puck or, or whatever and he doesn't need to do as much so how quickly does he adapt to that and, and like that is that's such a big part of it but but again like the guys who get it just get it from an early age and you know when you have a, a skill like he's got a wicked shot too like it, it, it you know maybe he's not going to be able to um, you know certainly control a game or anything and it's it's going to be you know flashes and you know as he figures out how to kind of apply himself shift to shift
gif, but w- when we get those flashes, we're going to see his stuff at that point, right? Yeah. And, you know, those guys can contribute whether, you know, how consistently they can contribute, it remains to be seen. But like, you know, the guys who are ready to, to have something that's an NHL skill that can beat NHL defenders and NHL goaltenders, uh, that's going to play. Yeah, and the, that's the other thing here is, no one should be confused with what is going to be asked of Matthew Nyes when he does step into the NHL. We're, we're not saddling this guy with the expectations of leading the charge for the Leafs the way that he has for the Gophers over the last couple of years. You know, he, he's obviously played with a couple of other star prospects this season in Logan Cooley and Jimmy Snuggerud, who've had outstanding seasons of their own as well. But I think a lot of people get caught up on the the box scores and haven't actually watched that team play and haven't seen just how important Nyes has been to the success that Cooley and Snuggerud have had as well. So when this guy is coming to step into the NHL, you're not asking him to drive a line. You're not asking him to lead your offensive charge. We're, we're asking this guy to come in and just be a fine contributor or, you know, keep his head above water in a third or fourth line role. And I think if anyone who's watched him with any kind of consistency over the last couple of years, it, it's it's hard to imagine him not being able to at least do that. So, you know, again, trying to temper expectations. I know I, uh, the hype train's gotten a little bit out of control at times. I've been one of the guys trying to slow that hype train a bit at times as well, but Man, you, you watch him play and he, he just looks like a player. While also fielding it with that sweet, sweet <laughs> crack of gifts and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, honestly, man, like watching these last few games in particular, it's like I'm recording his shift and, you know, I'm going to clip something from it because I feel like it's noteworthy. And, you know, I, I'm missing his next shift where he's doing something noteworthy again. So it, it's like... There's just a, a lot of flashes with this guy where it, it looks like he's ready to play in the show. I don't know if you guys saw the the thread that Kevin Papetti put out last week after that uh, Big Ten title game against Michigan. He kind of broke yeah. down uh, all of Nyes' shifts or at least the, you know, the notable moments throughout the game. And it was like 18 tweets long with 18 different clips of him you know, doing mostly positive things in that game to, to drive play for his team and create chances for his team. It's yeah, he's really intriguing piece, and not to put too much on him, but he could be an important piece for this team into the postseason. I think situationally too, like who you're, who he's going to be, you know, put with, and it's it's a largely veteran team, and and if you think about throwing him on a line with Ryan O'Reilly and William Nylander as your third line, like, or even, even if it's Kerfoot or if it's uh, Lafferty or, 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 and you know, he's probably going to have O'Reilly as a center, you know, that's about as responsible of a hockey player as you can put him with. So like yeah. the kind of you're expectations, sheltering him in that way, yeah. you're hiding him and not hiding is not even the right word, but you're sheltering him you know, with with about as good of a situation as you could walk into as a as a rookie player, kind of getting jumping on a moving on a moving bus. So, you know, with a very you know simple game plan of you know here's what you need to do. You don't need to necessarily worry about anything else. It's just you know for, get in on the forecheck, you know, get yourself open and get into get into a good shooting position. Because if you're playing with these good players, they're going to be able to get you the puck. And you know, with the added security blanket of one of the best defensive hockey players in the league on a line with you. Yeah, and uh, another thing that 
you know, might mitigate some of the concerns about him stepping right into the NHL with so little time to kind of get his feet under him is he's playing in, you know, high pressure games right now and has been for the last few weeks, you know, all the way through the Big Ten playoffs. Now they're heading into the NCAA tournament, looking to get a berth into that frozen four. So like he's playing in high leverage situations right now. So it's not going to be something that's completely foreign to him. Obviously uh, an entirely different level when you're talking about the NHL playoffs. But again, this is a guy who's, he hasn't shown to wilt under pressure or big moments by any means to this point in his career. So I, I think that's, you know, kind of another encouraging factor here when you're talking about this guy stepping into the NHL. Yeah, definitely excited to, uh, to see what, what he'll be able to contribute and, and, that's the thing you just don't know until you know right like it's it's just impossible to try to gauge against the the talent that that he's competing against because he's been you know so dominant for for stretches right it, like it just doesn't it's it's just no longer a useful yeah we know what he is uh, at the college measuring level. tool at that point yeah. he's a beast <laughs> you, yeah. you just got to see him against the big boys you know that's it like how does he how does he run up against six foot four defenders every time over the boards every night right like that's 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 what you got to see I've now. So. Mentioned this before on this show, but one thing that I don't think gets talked about enough with Nyes is I'm really excited to see him get to play on an NHL sized ice surface regularly. You know, like uh, Minnesota's home rink is closer to Olympic size. You know, a lot of the rinks that they play in are, are closer to Olympic size, and I think his game just really stylistically lends itself a lot better to. The, the tighter areas and playing more in the middle of the ice and taking those pucks off the wall and getting them into scoring areas in the middle of the ice. I'm just, I think that that's going to be a positive adjustment for him when he does turn pro. One of the things that I think I mentioned on our last episode a few weeks back that I'd be watching for here post trade deadline was, you know, the transition game, how did it hold up? It's not been good. And, no. uh, you know, not, not to say that you're going to rely on Matthew Nice to come in and, and fix that for you, but like he, he does have the feel of a guy who, who's going to rip off the occasional thrilling rush through the neutral zone just because he has that ability, right? Like he, he's not just uh, a physical guy who's going to get in the four check and, you know, get a, get an occasional hot shot off, right? Like he's, he, he's, a guy who's got the the skill to to move the puck up and down the ice yeah he's definitely a strong transition player but I think that's kind of maybe a bit of the other side of the coin to what I was just talking about you know having a lot more open ice at the college level to skate the puck up through the middle of the the neutral zone and and gain those clean entries I think that'll be something that is a bit more of a, a difficult adjustment for him with less time and space at the NHL level, but he's still very much capable of, of aiding the transition game for sure. And that's one thing that I've noticed, like just from the, the little bit of tape I've seen on him is like, he, he seems to kind of be on board with a little bit of that Leafs way of like, you know, the one touch passes and, and you know, making the, the quick play through the neutral zone. And, and like, it, it just, he kind of feels like a, a guy who's, who's a good fit for the system. That's something we've talked about since he was drafted. Like if he feels like a guy who, who fits this team. And now that it's, you know, close to kind of coming to fruition finally it's it's you know it's exciting to see how he's going to fit in there. i mean i am looking forward to seeing him you know zone entry and all that fun stuff too but i'm also looking forward to him chipping a puck in and putting sergachev into the fourth row 
I would like, like <laughs> yeah. to see a little bit of that too in terms of entering the zone. Absolutely. Well, that's another thing too with the smaller ice is I think you know you see the the clips of the odd big bone crushing hit from Nyes at, at the college level, but there's a lot more ground to cover there, and there's a lot more room, a lot more room to run. Yeah, a lot more time and space for the defenseman to kind of elude him on those four checks and things like that, or you know pressuring around the wall uh, on the cycle, or tr- you know trying to force a turnover on the four check like that you know that's going to be something that's I think is going to be pretty obvious right away when he steps into the NHL I I think the opportunities for him to use his body are going to be you know more abundant Um, just just a matter of how comfortable he's going to be doing that right away at the NHL level Uh, I think you know with some of the runs that he's taken at the college level um, if he's doing that in the NHL might uh might cause a few disturbances here and there. So that's another thing that he'll have to be prepared for, but that's what's going to make him successful ultimately at the pro level. So, Hey, you guys want to remember a leaf? Sure. Sounds fun. One of the best (laughs) things about being a sports fan is just sitting around and naming some guys. Naming old players. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I've been wanting to uh, introduce this segment for a a while and I've finally been motivated into action. Uh, So, Maybe this will mark the beginning of a wonderful tradition, or maybe I forget about it again next week. But uh, with the tip of the hat to Defector Media, the, the artist formerly known as Deadspin, let's remember a leaf. Uh, today we're remembering Thomas Caberlet. Yeah, I, I remember. I that. thought we were going like obscure <laughs> guys. That, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I would have to smoke way more weed <laughs> than I do to not remember Thomas Caberlet. Um, we are going to go in a more obscure direction from here, I think. Everyone remembers Thomas Caberlet. Um, even though it has been more than a dozen years now since since he played for the oh, Leafs. Man, which is that's crazy. crazy to think. Um, and, and I bring him up because for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, no, number one, it, as I said, just over 12 years ago that, that he actually played his first game back in Toronto after being traded to Boston <laughs> in February 2011. I think it was uh, March 19th that he, he played his first game back. I was at that game, which is a big deal because, you know, as we've established, when someone from the East Coast goes to an NHL game, everyone comes out of the town square. We all, <laughs> you know, fucking they, everyone brings their sign and we have a ceremony. You get you select the best sign from someone in, in the village who, who made it up and theirs is the one that gets to travel to Toronto. Uh, <laughs> so a few things uh, happened in that game, obviously, after, aside from, you know, Caberlet making his return. The Leafs beat the piss out of the Bruins. Um, and Luke Shen scored that Bobby Orr end Was that the Bobby Orr one? That oh, was man. that game. Yeah. Uh, fun game. Uh, Going to read you some names. I feel like I, I've probably talked about this game at some point during the life of the pod, but uh, it's been a little while, and it's it's worth reviewing some of the names that scored it in, in this one, okay? Um, oh, God. Aside from Luke Shen, who, who opened the scoring, uh, another cool thing that happened in this one, Nazem Kadri scored his first NHL goal. Um, oh, that's which cool. which was cool. I, I think that that was kind of one of the seasons where he was up and down between the Leafs and the Marlies, and, and just so happened that that we caught that one as well, which was really cool because I think I mentioned this before too. But I, I was at his first game on like an emergency call. What up. you got? The emergency yeah, call the year yeah. prior. That was a, 
was that against the sharks? Um, that was against the, the sharks. sharks. That's, yes, that's right. it was against yeah, the sharks. Right. And the things we remember, man. I was, I was blessed yeah. with a couple of uh, pretty cool cadre milestones. The it, really good luck rubbing off from from the ceremony in the village. I don't know what what was going on those times. <laughs> maybe um, Joey Crab. <laughs> oh man! Oh my goodness! Okay, tell yeah. me Tim. Tell me Tim Brent and Daryl Boyce scored too. Tim Brent <laughs> assisted on the next goal. Uh, by the way, Joey Crab already had two assists in the bank by the time he scored. Looking at this here, nice. uh, Daryl Boyce assisted on the Joey Crab goal. By the way, uh, <laughs> Tim Brent did not score. He assisted on a goal though from Mike Brown. Oof. Holy. Mike Brown didn't score too many. No, no. And, uh, <laughs> and wrapping up the scoring for the Maple Leafs, uh, Keith Ollie. Ooh. Oh, okay. Uh, and just just to, to put a bow on this one, which is kind of funny, just looking at it. And again, the context is this was March 19th. So, you know, getting towards the end of the season, Luke Shen scored his fourth goal of the season. And that was the most goals that season to that point for anyone who scored that night, <laughs> uh, including including the Bruins who got goals from uh, PEI's own Adam McQuaid and Daniel Paye. So, oh, wow. uh, it, it was a doozy and uh, a yeah, real Luke, offensive showcase that night for you, Kim. Yeah, Luke Shen going full or against the Bruins was was fun. A couple of old uh, cult heroes there, though, in, in guys like Mike Brown and uh, Timmy Brent, even like, Joey Crabb. Mike Brown was like. Yeah, on like emoji. Uh, although I feel like, yeah, he was l- looked at more as like a not through any fault of his own. Uh, it was you know the construction of the team, but I think the way I remember it anyway is like a lot of people being frustrated with maybe not Joey Crab himself, but the fact that he was the one that had was to play being thrust into that role just consistently. <laughs> yeah. Not only on the first line, but like you couldn't really put up much of an argument for why he shouldn't be on the first line, which was its <laughs> yeah. own indictment. Um, so there we go. We, we got like a, a, a multiple, multiple deep cuts on the remembering some Leafs here on the first edition. Uh, but 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 back to Caberlet for for a quick second. Um, uh, the, the number two thing that I that made me want to bring this up was the pure rage that went through me when I pulled up his hockey reference page for some reason earlier. If you do this, you'll you'll see what I mean. Uh, his photo, Habs gear, oof, not acceptable. I forgot he went there. Not right. Like until right not now, not natural. You can even live with the, the Boston. Yeah, you can live with the Bruins picture. I think because you know he was still he won a cup, kind of won a cup with them. He was still kind of a prominent player there. But like the Habs, by the time he was a Hab man, he was washed. And, yeah. and the funny thing is, the Habs are actually the team that he spent, like, played the second most games for after the Leafs. He played what? 53. Okay, I guess my memory's not as good as I thought. 878 with the Leafs. <laughs> so, switch up that photo. Come on. Um, so, there we go. Remembering some Leafs. Um, I was just going to say, you know, when you were talking about deep cuts there uh, and mentioning Daryl Boyce, do you guys remember when he, like... Every day, every day, within five minutes of waking up, it, it, it kind of speaks to how bad the team was back then. But like guys like Daryl Boyce w- were the guys to kind of get excited about at one time, you know, like this guy coming up from the Marlies, he's playing his ass off. He's flying around, smashing into corners and stuff like that. Man, we've come a long way that, that we have. 
Yeah, University of New Brunswick alumni. <laughs> no way. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he, went, yeah. he was there before the Marlies. I wonder if they had a big ceremony for him before he went to Toronto. <laughs> um, let's uh, let, let's wind this one down um, with a, a quick note on the, the World Baseball Classic. I don't know how much of this you guys watched. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that were, were we all watching the the end of this one? Um, what? Yeah, a, I watched. Oh, the, yeah, I watched I, the I, eighth and ninth inning of last night's game. That's the extent of it. But yeah. yeah, if you weren't watching Trout versus Otani and you're a baseball fan. Yeah. Like to any degree, you, you missed, missed out, out, man. You missed <laughs> out. It was uh, you, you just legendary stuff. You, you you just couldn't have written it better. It was funny. I was listening to Overdrive today from yesterday, and Hayes was talking about like, oh, you know, just would, would really love to see Trout versus Otani. We got to see it. We got to see it at some point. And it's like, yeah, we we saw it, baby. I it mean, was it, something else. It, it, not to like beat a dead horse. Like we've said it so many times. Everybody said it so many times. But it just made me want. Best on best oh, hockey man. so bad. Well, like, I think that's yeah, the, between the World Cup yeah, not that's, that long ago and this. Like it's just we're the sports just missing it. Big yeah, time. great look for Mister Hall of Famer when uh, McDavid comes out and, and says <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> hey, we haven't had this for ten years. What's up with that? Jesus. Yeah. Well, I mean, like think about it. It's a very real possibility that we never get to see Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby, you know, representing Team Canada together at the same time, and like. There's no other way to put it other than that's a damn shame. Like, look, the buzz that was created by this World Baseball Classic. I know it kind of seemed like it came it in with a bit of me, but it yeah it came it in with was a whimper, huge man. Yeah, yeah, there were some big moments, and like you see that tweet about uh, I think it was the semifinal game, something like an estimated ninety some percent of televisions in Japan were tuned into that game at some point, like. That's massive, massive growth for the sport. And and, I mean, you know, it's already a big sport in Japan or whatever, but I I think you can kind of extrapolate that to, you know, the the rest of the world and just how this tournament kind of made some people stand up and take notice. And, you know, there's just nothing that compares to best on best international competition in any sport. Like what we, what's what everyone loves about the Olympics. That's what everyone loves about the world juniors at Christmas time. So yeah, uh, obviously, again, beating a dead horse here, but like, give us best on best international hockey soon, please. If the Oilers start Jack Campbell the rest of the way, we can see Crosby and McDavid play together for Canada at the World Championships this May. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh.